We're going to continue on with our Embodying Renewal series where we're talking about, even though we're beyond Eastertide, we're, we're talking about the work of the Holy Spirit, the person uh, and the activity, the work of the Spirit within us as we continue to be people of renewal, uh, embodying the renewal of all that God's bringing and doing in and through the, the world. And so, uh, yeah, let's, let's delve into that. So encourage you this morning, this will be a helpful one to have your, have your Bibles open for. So click open your Bible app on your phone, click open the, you know, the Bible if you want to use one of those green ones on the, on the seat near you, one of those green church Bibles. It's, um, I believe, page 813 is where we're going. Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to start reading in verse 16. Galatians chapter 5. Um, and so it's page 813 if you're using one of those green ones. Uh, here we go. This is Paul's writing, a guy named Paul, writing to the churches in the area of Galatia. And we're going to pick up reading in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Paul says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and... I love it here, you know, he's clicked off like 15 things in the list, and in case you're sitting there this morning and going, yeah, but he hasn't named my thing, he goes, and the like, or, or other translations say, and such things as these, you know what I mean? So like, it's impl- everyone's implicated, you know, he's like, this is Paul being nice and inclusive, while the list is not comprehensive, he doesn't want anyone to feel left out, uh, so we're all in this together this morning, right? And then he gives these sobering words, he says, I warn you as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Friends, this is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You uh, for Your Word this morning. We thank You for Your Spirit that enlivens enlivens your word as truth to us. May it be truth to us and for us this morning. Lord, we open our hearts and our minds now to the best of our abilities. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to open them wider still, beyond our own abilities. May we hear and receive all that you would have for us this morning. We trust God that you are always active, moving, speaking, shaping, forming. So attune us to the ongoing work of your spirit here amongst us this morning. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And we all said together, amen, amen. True story. In January 2020, 
There was a woman by the name of Kathy Boone who died in a homeless shelter in a town named Astoria, Oregon. So Pacific Northwest in the US, this woman, Kathy Boone, had been living in abject poverty, like so bad. And, and her family, her extended family, they'd kind of lost touch with Kathy. They didn't know how bad things had become for her and how, you know, how her life had just taken this downward turn and all of these different things. And the reason why they didn't know that is because they were unable to get in contact with her. See, they'd been trying since 2016 almost four years of trying to contact Kathy. They'd completely lost touch. They'd done everything that they could since 2016 to try and get in touch with her because her mother had passed away and they wanted to let her know. And so they'd done all the usual things, all the emails, you know, they they would kind of like did the old, you know, social media stalking, try and track, you know, where she's been and, find, and, and didn't turn up anything. They, they, they started taking out newspaper ads to try and capture her attention. And when, when they started to get even more desperate, they actually hired a private investigator to try and track her down. The reason was not just to inform Kathy that her mother had passed away, but that her mother had bequeathed to her, had willed to her $884,000. You catch the irony of it? Here's Kathy dying in a homeless shelter, having lived in abject poverty for so long when there's an account with her name on it, with abundant resources. Crazy, right? And yet before we kind of go, what's up with that? Kathy, why didn't you get in touch? I think spiritually speaking, there's a little bit of Kathy Boone in all of us. I think spiritually speaking, there's a little bit in all of us. See, if you flip over the page in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 through 21, says, I also pray that you'll understand the incredible greatness of God's power for those of us who believe in Him. The incredible greatness of what? God's power. Just check and make sure you're with us and awake, right? This is that same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated Him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now He is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. Paul's like grasping at words. He's running out of language to describe the incredible greatness of God's power. You see it? He's trying to convey the significance of this, the majesty of this, the hugeness of God's power. And he just is running out of words. You know what I mean? Like he's running out of language to describe it. This incredible greatness of God's power. And here's the truth, friends. That same power, that resurrection power, is you have resurrection resources at your disposal. Every follower of Jesus Christ, you have those resurrection resources. When you got saved, that same power, That incredibly great power, that raising Jesus from the dead power is now in you. It's yours. Thank you. I was like, hey, if anywhere else but Canterbury, the church would be like dancing and like praising right now, right? I mean, and yet, you know, like many of us, here's the the irony, here's the heartbreaking part is that many of us, we kind of journey through life and we continue to live these morally and spiritually bankrupt lives, right? where we live in moral and spiritual debt, living like paupers in abject poverty when we should be living as royalty. 
The same power is available to us. And yet many of us, we, we continue to take these tours of duty, going on through moral and spiritual bankrupt lives, continually being beat up by sin, beat down by jealousy and gossip and lying and slander and impurity. You, you get the list, right? Fits of rage and anger and discord and addictions and, you know, whatever it might be. And we, and we look at our lives and we just cry out, Lord, when will I be free of this? When will it be over? Friends, this is what I want to talk about this morning. Because if you and I have abundant resources, resurrection resources, that same power available to us, how do we access it on a day-by-day and a moment-by-moment basis? That's what I want to spend our time talking about this morning. And Paul talks about it using the language of walk by the Spirit. You see it right there in verse 16, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. He says, so I say, walk by the Spirit. I heard someone describe it actually kind of like a, um, uh, like a bank transfer, you know. Um, I've been talking with, you know, some people who are slightly ahead of me in parenting, a little bit older. Some of those parents who have young adult children, young adults in the room, you know, just kind of um, let me let you in on a little bit of the pain of your parents for a moment. Um, parents, I hope I ju- do justice to your, your situation in this, uh, you know, kind of explanation, but these parents would basically describe, you know, uh, when, 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 when parenting shifts when your kids become young adults, and it's less about, it's, uh, you know, basically, you, you get the same message, they still stay in touch, but it's less about, I need help, um, so they're not saying, I don't need your help anymore, but I do need your money, right? I don't need your help, but I do need your money. I don't need help, I just need money. I don't need help, I just need money. This is kind of, anyone, can I get an amen? There's a few parents in the room saying, you know, so this is what, the, right, this is what the, the parents of young adults have told me. I'm just trying to, you know, convey it, you know, honestly and openly here uh, for you. And, and so basically, one of these parents said, I got one of those calls one day, and then and the child called up and said, hey, look, I've just run out of money. I don't know if I'm going to make rent, and I don't know if I've got the money to pay for groceries and blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. Can you loan me some money? And this parent was like, yes, so what I did was pulled open my phone and I opened up the bank app and with the click of a button, I was able to transfer funds from my bank account of abundant resource into their broke account of lack of resource, right? And those funds were transferred and that's the truth. That's the truth for each and every one of us. In salvation, the, the, the big theological term for that is justification. Every single one of us who are saved by faith in Jesus Christ, we have received that transfer of righteousness. The righteousness of Jesus Christ has been imputed to you, has been deposited into your account. You now, when God the Father looks at you, He looks at you through the lens of the Son, Jesus Christ, and He sees pure, righteous, holy, just, perfect. That's how he sees you. This is who you are. You have that. But here's the deal, right? You can have the presence of God all the time, and and justification, salvation teaches us that's true, but you cannot always live in the power of that reality. We talked a little bit about that last week. If you missed it, you can go pick, pick that one up and have a listen last week. Um, but, the, but you can lose the power of the Spirit of God. And so, how do we access that? You can have all the resources you want in your bank account, but how do you apply those resources to your point of need when you're filling up with petrol and when you're trying to buy groceries? You need a debit card, right? The debit card of the Holy Spirit. You see it? You can get the bank transfer into your account, but you actually need the debit card in order to apply those resources to your point of need. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. 
That's how the Spirit functions in us and with us. And, and so while we know that we have the, the Holy Spirit with us, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the Holy Spirit, our, our bodies is now the temple of the Holy Spirit. It is now the place where the Spirit dwells. And just in case you're wondering what the Greek word for, for body means, it means body. It's the same word. It literally is true. It just means body. That's, that's all it is. Um, and so we cannot, you know, while we can't lose the presence of God, we know we can lose the power of the, of the Spirit of God. And so that's what we're trying to tap into. And how do we access that? And how do we apply that day by day, moment by moment into our lives? Now, I told you last week a little bit about my own journey of walking by the Spirit, of coming to understand more of the Holy Spirit, getting introduced to the Spirit by some gracious mentors of mine. And it wasn't necessarily a huge dynamic in the church that I grew up in, um, but, you know, I've kind of journeyed and understood and learned a lot over the years. And I've learned, you know, as I've kind of journeyed around and spent lots of time in different parts of the body of Christ, There's a, you know, I've been a pastor over 20 years now and um, had, had great exposure from the full spectrum. And I love the full beauty and width and diversity of the body of Christ. I love it. But I've noticed when it comes to things of the Spirit, there's churches that kind of sit on two opposite ends of the spectrum. There's those churches who, um, they're, they're more into, um, shall we say, their, their Holy Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Bible, or the Holy Scriptures, right? And it's like they just kind of put the Holy Spirit on the bench, you know, we'll call on you maybe later, or maybe not, you know, and they, and they really elevate and lift up the Word of God, almost like it's the third person of the Trinity, and basically their whole definition is, this is the truth of God, All you need to do is read the book and do it. Read the book, do what it says. Read the book, do what it says. Like, like that's just kind of over and over and over again, right? And then, like we talked about last week, and, and you, you understand I'm making generalizations here, right? This isn't true of all churches, you know, like in that camp, nor is this true of all Pentecostal and charismatic churches, but there are some Pentecostal and charismatic churches who kind of go to the opposite extreme, where it's almost like they elevate the, the, the person of the Holy Spirit above God the Father and the Son, and it becomes all about power encounter, all about experience, all about these moments of, of, of change. You know what I mean? And I've even been around some where I'll be in a meeting and this, this person will be in worship and praying in tongues and all that kind of stuff. And then the next minute, you know, as you're leaving the meeting, you're out in the car park and they're swearing and, you know, like abusing you and tearing you up, you know, like, like, like awful language. This, is, this isn't true of all, you know, we're making, talking generalities, right? But painting a bit of extremes. But this tension plays out between those who say, you know what, we don't need the gifts and the work of the Spirit today. All we need is the Bible. All we need is the Scriptures, right? And I think there's huge, you know, that's a huge reduction. We, we miss out on a lot when we kind of lean, lean into those. Same is true when we go to this other, um, where we become obsessed almost with the experience of the Holy Spirit without ongoing, lasting fruit. And so that tension between just read the book and do it versus what can often be seen as just theatrics or a bit of a show being put on, right? And so we go, man, Paul, will you help us out? What does it look like for us to walk by the Spirit, to live in and by the Spirit? And, and you know, I don't want to go on either of those extremes, right? I want to I follow Paul's lead here where he says, walk by the Spirit, Galatians 5.16. What does it mean to walk by the Spirit? 
the Greek word there is parapateo. That's what the Greek word for walk is parapateo, which, which is less to do with the physical act of walking, you know, where you're putting one foot in front of the other and you're moving. Yep, I'll get my knees up just for William so he can, you know, appreciate that. Uh, you know, it's less about, I'll talk, tell you more about that in a minute, but um, uh, it's less about actual physical act of walking one foot in front of the other and more about how we conduct our lives. That's more the sense of what it's actually about, how we order our lives and conduct our lives. And it's given as a command. It's in the imperative sense. So Paul's urging, commanding almost, saying, walk by the Spirit. What does he mean? Conduct your lives in accordance with the Spirit or in submission to the Spirit would be a better way. Conduct your lives in submission to the Spirit. Submit yourself to that power and controlling influence of the Holy Spirit so that the totality of who you are is submitted to the totality of who He is. Walk by the Spirit, Paul says. What does that look like? It means every morning when you get out of bed, you roll over and before you stand to your feet, As you're sitting there on the edge of the bed, just whisper a prayer, Spirit of the living God, you're in control. I give you my heart, my mind, my day, my energies. You're in control. You call the shots, right? Here's what what walking the Spirit is not like, and I kind of referenced this earlier, you know. We, um, uh, William and Andrew and I just got back from a tramp. We went overnight. We left Friday. We came back, you know, overnight and we came back yesterday. And, um, and when you go on a, when you go on a tramp or something like that, what do you do? You, you, in order to prepare for it well, you, you, you open up the, you, you get your phone out, right? And you open up the weather app and you go, what kind of weather are we going to encounter? So you know what to pack, right? And, and then you go, okay, yep, good. I see the weather conditions should be, should be sweet as. We had a stunning day yesterday, by the way. Uh, then you close that app. And then what do you do? You pick, up, you pick up the next app, which is the topography app of where you're going to go. And so you know how much climbing is involved, right? That's what everyone wants to know. What's the elevation going to be? Uh, William can tell you all about that later as he hobbles out to the car. Um, and so you look at that and, and you, you look at that and then you know how much, you know, what you're going to put in the pack. And in particular, the biggest decision is how bougie you can go on the food, right? Um, and then you close that down and you open up Google Maps and you're like, how do we drive to get to the car park where we can start our walk and get on with it, right? And a lot of us treat the Holy Spirit like that like an app on our smartphone. Let me just open it up, get the information I need. All right, sweet, good. Close it and carry on. Put it away and carry, you know, like, like that's how we treat the Holy Spirit. That is not what Paul means when he says, walk by the Spirit. That's not the intent that he has. The Spirit of God is not some administrative assistant to help make your life better. Ooh. Do I need to say that one again? You caught that, right? Here's what the Spirit is like. Paul says, if you flip over to Ephesians 5.18, Paul says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. What does it mean to be filled? We often think about that in terms of... um, of like volume and, you know, like a, 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 like, like a liquid, right, filling up a container. But, but that's not actually what the word means. It, like I did a, w- a little word study. The Greek word here, be filled, it's a little bit humorous to me, I think, is, is actually like same word is used when referring to a pregnant woman. And not like just pregnant, like last few days of pregnancy, so there ain't no doubt that she's pregnant. You know, it's so pregnant that you could in confidence, you know, confidently walk up and say, hey, when's the baby due? 
that kind of pregnant. You know what I mean? Like you're not second guessing that. There is no doubt. That's the kind of that's the kind of image that Paul has in mind. There is no doubt that they are pregnant. There is no doubt that the spirit of God is in you. That's the kind of image that Paul's giving. Your life is so distinctively noticeable, right? That's what Paul's saying. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, that's what he's saying. Uh, that there's no doubt. It's the same kind of idea when, when, um, when Pharaoh spoke about Joseph and he said, the spirit of the gods is in him, right? Bad theology, but it's the right idea. You know, when Nebuchadnezzar's mother spoke about Daniel and said, the spirit of the gods is in him. Again, bad theology, same idea. When your co-workers at work see you living so distinctively different that there's just no doubt the Spirit of God is in you. Come on, are you catching this? That's what Paul's getting at. That's what he's saying. Be filled to the Spirit. Let your life be so evident that the Spirit of God is in you, that no one doubts that the Spirit of the living God is the one who is in control. He is the controlling influence in your life. He is the one that you're submitted to. He is the one that's calling the shots. Are you with me? So what does it look like when we're filled with the Holy Spirit and walking by the Holy Spirit? Well, it looks all kinds of things in all kinds of ways, but in some small ways, it means when I've done something in marriage to maybe hurt or offend my lovely wife, Jamie, you have that split second awareness when you realize, oh, something's happened here. She's been upset. She's been hurt. And you have that split second choice. You know what I'm talking about? Where you go, oh, I should apologize. And by the way, um, saying, oh, I'm sorry you took it that way. (laughs) Trust me from experience. Um, that's, 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 that's not a good apology. Like, that's, that doesn't count as an apology. Um, no, it's when you say, I'm sorry that I hurt you. When I said this, when I did that, be specific. And then you ask the big one, will you forgive me? That's walking by the Spirit, friends. That's attuning our lives and conducting our lives in a way that is consistent with the Spirit of God within us. When, when someone wrongs you and they've said or done something to hurt you, offend you, upset you, whatever it is, instead of, you know, when they call you up, maybe, maybe trying to apologize and you see their number come up, instead of blocking that, don't you love caller ID? You can believe, like, no, swipe, no, I'm not taking that one. You know, instead of avoiding them, instead of taking this aisle out of church because you see them down the back, you go down this one. You know, not, 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 not those kinds of things. Friends, that's called the flesh. That would be walking in accordance with the flesh. No, walking in accordance with the Spirit of God would offer forgiveness and to seek reconciliation because the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, friends, I do that for you every day. Why wouldn't you offer it for others? Right, this is tough, right? This is tough, right? None of us can do this, live this Christian life in and of our own and on our own terms and on our own merit or whatnot. It's like we come to this Christian life and God knows this, like batteries not included. We need some power beyond ourselves. We need the work of the Holy Spirit because if you could live the Christian life on your own terms to the full glory of God, you would never need the Spirit of God, right? So if this sounds ridiculously hard, good, it should because it is. So what does it look, life look like in the Spirit practically? 
Um, I'm going to just going to step through three things as we kind of wind down towards the end. And, and, uh, and Paul fortunately makes a promise here, and you see in verse 16, where he says, if you will surrender t- the totality of your life to the Holy Spirit, here's the promise. He promises victory over the flesh. You see in verse 16, he says, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not get gratify the desires of the flesh. The flesh, in other translations, just means sinful nature. Sinful nature. Other translations call it sinful nature, and we're all born with it. No one's excluded. No one gets a pass on this. We all have the sinful nature, right? It's why David writes in the Psalms, you know, I was born in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. You know, it's why, it's why we all have this sinful nature. It's why, you know, you don't have to teach your kids how to lie. You don't have to teach them that. It's why you don't have to teach your kids how to be selfish. Because even a three or four month old baby has got that one sorted, right? Like those precious little cherubs in your arms when you lay them down to sleep at night and they're laying in their crib and, you know, it's like 3 a.m. in the morning. They're not, and they wake up feeling a little bit hungry, a wee bit peckish. They're not going to say to themselves, oh, you know, mom and dad, they've not been sleeping much lately and dad's got to get up and, you know, they've got to go to work tomorrow and, you know, maybe I'll just, I'll just like hold off for another couple of hours until the alarm goes off and then maybe they can give me a feed. no. That baby is going to squawk and scream and cry and say, get your hind parts out of bed right now, come and feed me, right? That's how babies, you don't have to teach them how to be selfish. This is the sin nature, right? And when you got saved, here's the truth. When you got saved, Jesus did not remove your sinful nature. He just added the Holy Spirit. You see it? He didn't remove the sinful nature. He just added the Holy Spirit. It's like a picture of Genesis 3 right on inside of you where you've got the tree of life and you've got the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And each and every moment, day by day, we have the choice of which way we're going to go. Why does God leave that tree of knowledge of good and evil, that sinful nature, why does He leave that inside of us? Because God's ultimate plan and purpose for our lives, the punchline for His life is His own glory. And God gets the ultimate glory when we choose to not go the route of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, to not go the route of the sinful nature, but instead to choose to lean into the Spirit. That's where God gets the ultimate glory. And the truth is, friends, that the flesh or the sinful nature and the Spirit are not co-pilots in your life. That is not the way Paul talks about it, right? These are not co-pilots. Right now, for every single one of us in this room, and I include myself in that, one of those, the flesh or the spirit, is on the throne of your life. One of those has controlling influence of your life and the other does not. It's not a both and. It's an either or. It really is. That's why Paul talks about these as in conflict with each other. Did you see that in the text? He says these are in conflict with each other. You see in verse 21, he said, basically down in 21, he says, uh, and all these things, and I warn you as I did before, that those who live like, oh, sorry, that's not what the verse I was looking for. He says, 17 and 18, he says, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are at conflict with each other. You see it? Right there, they're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Then down in 21, he says, and I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that's harsh language and you need to, be, you need to understand like Paul's not talking about, um, he's not saying that if you sin, you'll go to hell. 
that's works righteousness, that's like works salvation. He's not saying that. What he is saying is that if your life is being dominated by the flesh and you can just sin with no sense of conviction, no sense of guilt, no sense of remorse or shame, then you are not a believer. I think that's what Paul's saying. It's not that you could, you've somehow lost your salvation along the way, it's more a case that you never actually had it in the first place. I mean, how can you claim to have the Holy Spirit living inside of you and live in direct contradiction to it? It's just like we'd say, you know, someone who's, if we take from Paul's list, who's a greedy Christian or a selfish Christian or an angry Christian, you know, we'd call those an oxymoron. Those things should not go together. You know, or a racist Christian, these things should not go together. It's not, these are lifestyle issues and it should not be the way it goes together. But the good news, like we saw in verse 17 and 18, Paul's not preaching perfection. He's not preaching this, hey, you just get it all sorted, get it nailed, you, you know, that's how, you, that's how you walk by the Spirit. No, he's not preaching perfection. He's saying these two natures are at war with each other. They're at conflict within you. And so whenever... Think about it. When, when these two are at war, it's not co-pilot issue. When they're at war, if you act in ways that are greedy and selfish and you act in ways according to the sinful nature, guess which is being grieved? The Holy Spirit is the one that's being grieved inside of you. But vice versa, when you choose honesty instead of lying, when you choose selflessness instead of selfishness, guess which one is being grieved? The flesh, the sinful nature is the one that grieves. You see, that's the way it works. The flesh and the spirit are at war with each other. And one of the ways to know that you're saved is not that we don't sin. We all sin. One of the ways to know that you're saved is that you struggle to sin, (laughs) that there's that conflict. See, if you can just walk into sin with no struggle, that could very well mean that the spirit of God is not in your life. So praise God for the struggle. Praise God for that sense of conviction. That's a sign that the Spirit of God is living within us. Can I be real and honest for a moment this morning? Is that all right? When Jamie and I got engaged a long time ago, we were dating and then in 2001 we got engaged and we started struggling like lots of other engaged people struggle. I remember... You know, I'd be round at her place, it'd be late at night, we'd be watching a movie and the movie would end and I wasn't interested in watching another movie. I was interested in something else. I was, Why don't we play a game? How about Twister? Pretty good game. And in that moment, you know what I'm saying? The Spirit of God comes like the divine nuisance that He is. And in that split-second moment, you have a choice, right? It's always a split-second moment. Am I going to choose the Spirit of God or Twister, right? And that's the way it goes, right? And, and each of us, and, and we walked this journey for us, like where we wanted to honor God, not just with our own lives, but with our relationship. We wanted to honor Him in how we conducted ourselves and the way in which we walked in that relationship. We wanted to honor each other in that. And so we, you know, we'd, I, remember, I remember moments where, where Scripture, you know, would start coming to mind. Scriptures that I'd memorized as a teenager that started coming to mind and I'd be reinforced by God's truth and it would lead me towards the Spirit. 
and the power of the Spirit. And then I like in James 5 where James encourages us to confess our sins and our temptations to others and have them pray for us so that we may be healed. And so I did. I'd go and I'd confess to this temptation and I invited some godly men and women to help hold us accountable and to pray with us that we'd be strengthened. We started praying together between Jamie and I so that it was this, you know, all across the way. And so when we got to our wedding night and we got to celebrate knowing each other in that way for the very first time, it's not because we just kind of white knuckled our way through it and, you know, held out and, you know, fought the good fight and had some good accountability around us or anything like that. No, we'd applied the power of the Spirit of God into our very point of need. You see it? We applied those resources. And, and look, of course, if there's, when we fail, of course there's grace for that. Of course there is. Absolutely. But we can lean into the Spirit of God. This is what it means. This is what Paul's saying when he says, walk by the Spirit. Conduct your lives in a way that shows you are fully submitted and surrendered to the power of the Spirit. I think the second thing it shows us in here is um, actually better relationships, just in brief. The flesh erodes relationships. The Spirit enhances relationships with one another. This doesn't apply just to marriage, by the way. This applies to people, relationships across the board. Have a look at that list of um, vices or uh, sins that, you know, those 15 things that Paul clicked off in the text there. Eight of the 15 are relational, more than half. Eight of the 15 are relational in nature. And at the root of them all, I think, is pride. Pride is often at the root of all of these things. If you read through that, it's why C.S. Lewis actually talks about pride being the fountainhead of all vice. Others say it is the epicenter of the flesh, pride. Because when pride is there, we, we dehumanize people and we start to view people in utilitarian ways and can therefore be much more prone to use them than to be in healthy, good relationships. Does this make sense? You understand? And so this is what's going on. See, the flesh erodes relationships. You can't have, if you just live your life all about me, 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 you can't have a healthy we or us with just by combining a bunch of me's. You just don't, it just does not work that way. It does not get there. Versus when you see Paul down here in verse 22, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, good. A lot of these are relational too, friends. You notice that? They're ways of relating one to another. You can think yourself a really patient person if you're living in isolation from the world. But the minute you actually live with other people, you realize just how patient you are. You can think you're the kindest person on the planet if you don't have to deal with anyone else, right? These show, the fruit of the Spirit, show in relationship with other people and they either erode or enhance relationship. You see it? This is walking by the Spirit. And when we walk by the Spirit, that fruitfulness in our lives actually grows up naturally. You know, like Paul talks about, um, uh, you know, like, like Jesus actually talks about, you know, like, it, like an apple tree doesn't strain to produce apples. It just roots itself in the soil and the natural outcome of an apple tree is apples, right? 
The same is true of the fruit of the Spirit. You just root yourself in the Spirit of God. You just root yourself in the power of the Spirit of the living God inside. You root yourself there. You don't have to strain to produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Those things will just well up from outside of you. They'll just overflow. It'll be the natural fruitfulness of your life and others will benefit from it. You see it? Here's the final one, number three. I think Paul points us to practically when we walk by the Spirit. It shows us that the fallen are restored. The fallen are restored. You see, Galatians, I I included these first couple of uh, verses from from, um, chapter six because, you know, in the Scriptures, we little Bible study uh, lesson for you here, for all the Bible nerds out there. Um, you know, basically, chapter and verse distinctions aren't in the original manuscripts. So when Paul wrote this, he didn't write chapter 6 and then put the verse numbers in. That, that wasn't there in Paul's letter to the Galatians. Editors and good biblical scholars came along after the fact and put all of these things in. And I think this might be one of those places where they kind of missed it a little bit. I think these first two verses fit better with the text we've been sitting in in the end of chapter 5. I think he'd be better off putting the chapter break a little bit lower, a couple of verses. That's just my humble opinion. Um, you know, so Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. He says, brothers and sisters, because it's coming off the verse 26. Like, this is where I see the link really clear. He says, let us not become concerned seated, provoking and envying each other. Instead, he says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. If someone is caught in a sin, and this is like, you can imagine Paul's writing, this idea of being caught is, is, is an idea of being overwhelmed by or surprised by or caught off guard by a little bit. Um, it's not someone who's like maliciously pursuing sin. It's someone whose motives are good. They're wanting to do the right thing, but they've been overwhelmed by and caught up by this idea of sin. And, and so uh, when caught, what, who do we need to do the work of restoration? We need godly, spirit-filled, wise people who aren't going to gossip and slander and be dishonest and any of that kind of stuff in dealing with it. This is the body of Christ. It's almost as if Paul was saying, hey, Galatia, churches around Galatia, you're likely going to have some people coming into your church. Hey, people at the well in Ototahi, you're likely going to have some people coming into your church who are caught up in sin. Be prepared for it. And when you do, not if, but when you do, when they're caught up there, who do you want to look after them. You want people who are Spirit-filled, who are walking by the Spirit, right? You want godly, honest, mature people. Hey, just hold the mirror up for a minute. I mean, think about your own life, because this should cause us to reflect in your own life. How do you respond when you encounter someone, a fellow brother and sister in Christ, you encounter them as caught up in sin? What's your default posture? Is it judgment, condemnation, oh, you should know better, Uh, you know, or is it, oh, we need to restore this person gently and lovingly. When you find people who've made a mess of their lives, Paul says, restore them gently and lovingly. Now, I'm no great fisher, you know, I don't don't like fishing, don't invite me to go fishing, I'll say no. Um, Just, you should all know that by now, I've been around a while, you know, so... But yeah, anyways, I, I don't like fishing, but, but people who do fish regularly have told me when you go out fishing and you go catch and release, you know, you, you're fishing catch and release style, that you don't just, you know, you catch it in and that's all good, you reel it in and, and that's all good to catch the fish um, and you don't just kind of go yank the hook out and like chuck it in, no, 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 you very gently remove the hook and then you gently release and restore that fish back to its home environment, Right? It's a gentle removing of the hook so that the 
where the, where the hook was there can, can be healed and can be restored and you restore it gently, right? This is what they say. Um, uh, the, so, so I'm told. Um, some of you maybe get the better idea. And I go, what a beautiful image for each of us. Because the truth is we all come with different kinds of hooks at different times where we are caught up in sin. And wouldn't you much rather have someone gently remove that hook and restore you? And that's my hope and prayer is that we as a church family, not yes as individuals and yes for us as, as families, but for us as a church, may we become the kind of people and the kind of church who become known as gentle restorers as a work of God's Spirit in and through us. May that be true of us. Because the truth be told, we all know there is way more than enough examples and stories of condemnation and judgment and not gentle restoration in the history of the church. That we just don't need to add to those, we don't need to add to those anymore. Let's just not do that. Let's not be adding to those any, you know, the church regularly, Christians often get an A for condemnation and an F for restoration. Not here, not us. By the Spirit of the living God inside of us, may we be a place of restoration because we know the Spirit is alive and moving powerfully among us and we are filled as a community. We are filled as a pe- by people of people who live and walk by the Spirit. May that be true of us. Let's pray together. Lord, we do ask boldly and yet confidently because we know this is your heart and desire for us that you would make us those people. Lord, may we be those who walk by the Spirit. And as we do walk by the Spirit, as we choose to walk by the Spirit, would you increasingly bless us with victory over sin as we align our efforts and conduct our lives in a way that's, that's consistent with your ways and your truth and your righteousness. Would you just surge up within us the power of the Spirit to overcome temptation, to overcome sin itself? May we live victorious, free lives, no longer caught up by the sin that it might entrap us. Lord, would you, would you make us um, healthy in how we relate one with another because of your Spirit alive within us? Would you enhance our sense of relationships and community? And Lord, I pray that you would make us a community where anyone from around our city, from around our region, who comes in caught up in sin might gently be restored and find hope and healing. Do that among us, we pray. Amen.